Welcome back to the ACC Northeast Practice and Career Management Committee's podcast series around the in-house. I'm Alex Afariot, Legal Counsel at the Boston Consulting Group, Secretary of the ACC Northeast Chapter Board, and a member of the Practice and Career Management Committee. As we kick off our first episode of season two, I'm really excited to welcome my new co-host of the series, Ruchi Sisodia Shah. You may remember Ruchi from her own interview last season and from our final episode where she hosted the episode herself. So Ruchi, welcome officially to the host chair. Thanks, Alex. I'm really happy to be here. Again, my name is Ruchi Sisodia Shah. I am director and senior counsel at Boston Scientific and a member with Alex of the Practice and Career Management Committee. Alex and I are very excited to speak with more members of the in-house practice about their careers, aspirations, challenges, and personal passions. We hope to continue to provide our listeners with a great opportunity to hear directly from other members about the issues they're facing and share their best piece of it, pieces of advice about building a successful in-house practice. So thanks for joining us for another trip around the in-house. Well, we're so happy to have you here, Ruchi. So this episode, we're really excited to welcome our guest, Karen Valentine, the former Chief Legal Officer and General Counsel of Constellation Pharmaceuticals to the podcast. Karen is a graduate of the Colgate University and received her law degree from Boston University School of Law. Prior to her time at Constellation, Karen spent 14 years at Agenis, rising through the ranks and ultimately becoming their Chief, Chief Legal Officer and GC. Karen is also a very active member of the ACC Northeast chapter, previously serving as both co-chair of the Programs Committee and vice president, then president of our board, and is now an active member of our Nominating and Governance Committee and the Past Presidents Committee. It is such a pleasure to welcome Karen to the podcast. Karen, welcome. Yes, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Alex and Ruchi, and thank everyone for letting me have the opportunity to share some of my thoughts with you today. Absolutely. So, so Karen, I'll, I'll, I'll start. So, you know, we'd love to, to start with your impressive career. Um, you rose from an individual contributor when you joined, um, you, you know, in, in, at Agenis and, and became the general counsel. Can you give listeners a bit of insight into the trajectory of that? Certainly. Um, and I guess to, to give even uh, more context to it, I'll, I'll back up one step and say before that, I was actually an associate at a law firm and uh, hadn't really been seriously considering going in-house at the time um, and uh, had only been in the law firm for a couple of years. And I had had this uh, presumption that you should be much more senior at the law firm before going in-house or it could become difficult to become a general counsel. So that was my presumption when I was approached by an existing client who asked me to come in-house and that was a genus. Um, I was very open with them. Uh, we had a close relationship as a client of mine, and I told them uh, my concerns as to why I didn't know if it was a good time. Um, and I told them that I wanted actually to eventually become a general counsel. Uh, at the law firm, I was spending a lot of my time doing strategic transactions and licensing and partnering arrangements, not quite as much time on the, the general corporate side. And I was worried that that could hold me back. And I was honest about that. Uh, and, you know, uh, had a couple back and forth. And finally, the CEO got on the phone. And I'll never forget the day he said, I hear we're dancing. Uh, what do I have to do to stop the dance and get you to join us? <laughs> and I and I said and I was 
came right out and told him and he said, okay, you know, we'll get there. Just trust me. And, you know, most of us lawyers say, uh, you know, trust, but verify. Um, but at this particular moment, I, I did, uh, go for it, um, in part, again, because it was a client and I'd worked with them for several years. Uh, so fast forward, I, I joined the company. They really didn't have a legal department. Um, uh -huh. There was w one attorney there and she actually left um, on maternity leave and did not come back right when I joined. So, you know, I, I got there and as you pointed out, I joined as a senior attorney uh, and immediately had to put together the internal structure of a law uh, of a law department. Um, and just to jump ahead for a moment, I'll say, you know, I also built the legal department at Constellation. And in both instances, there's there were quite a few similarities and also some differences. And as you point out, Alex, you know, one of the biggest differences was I didn't come into a genus as the general counsel. Um, I worked my way up over the years. And how did I do that? Um, well, first, I was honest from the beginning. You know, I think sometimes people are afraid to, you know, let people around them know what their true goals are. Um, and I've always had a very transparent relationship, both with the people who report to me and the people I report to. Um, you build that trust right away. And I think it creates um, the foundation for how your relationships go um, over time. But then you have to put the time in, show your skills, show uh, not just your legal skills, but the skills that you need uh, in order to become, you know, the general counsel. Um, you know, and, and again, just to continue to be a self-advocate and show your skills, your ability to manage tough situations, everything that you, you really need to be a GC. And then at both companies, I had to do what every GC who goes into a company uh, that had no legal department do, which is, you know, to build the policies and, and develop the team. And can you provide any tips on, on, and I know that could be a whole podcast in, in and of sure. itself, right? Building a legal department, but is it a high level? Like what are like the key th uh, things that a person should, an attorney should look for or, or, or learn or, or do when they are building a, a practice or a group from the ground up? Sure. And, you know, I, I would say that, there's not a one size fits all philosophy. And even when it comes to being a GC, there's not a one size. And my very first question, whenever I'm approached for an opportunity, whether it be, um, you know, a general counsel or chief legal officer, or, you know, whatever you call it, is I ask, well, what do you mean by general counsel? What kind of general counsel are you looking for? Because there are different types um, and, and uh, you know, I come at responding to your question as a general counsel who is truly viewed as a strategic member of the senior management team, mm -hmm. uh, trusted uh, from the first day and, you know, respected to build smart um, people around me that will fit into the culture. That's sort of what my goal is uh, as general counsel. And so, you know, for me, mentoring is one of the most important roles of the general counsel. Of course, at a genus over those 14 years, I learned to do 
all the other things beyond um, licensing that I needed to do. I, I'm, you know, could do securities work, you know, almost as well as my securities attorney by the end, and you know, could manage my IP attorney, manage all those people, um, so that I had the underlying skills to be a, a good general counsel on the legal side. But you know, being able to develop people, mentor them, and and have them trust you was a fundamental to me aspect of being um, building a good team. The second thing I do is I do the work first myself, which I have to tell you, um, you know, especially at Constellation, they were constantly saying, what are you going to hire? What are you going to hire? You're working too hard. You know, and I went from having a, a quite a, a, a strong team at Agenis to being an N of one at Constellation and faxing things myself and my boss saying, why aren't you hiring people? Um, but to me, I felt it was really important to understand my clients before I hired, because if you don't understand your client, then you could hire the wrong people. It's not just about being able to be a substantively good lawyer. You need to understand your client, what their needs are, what their personality is, um, all those aspects that, that you don't know until you get there before you build a team. So that to me is how I did that. Um, and then, you know, frankly, get to really know the individuals that are your current counsel. And by that, what I mean is, you know, you figure out, okay, who are they working with? And, you know, in some instances, some companies will hire their IP attorney as their first attorney. And I come from biotech, I should say. So in the biotech industry, they often hire their IP attorney as one of their first attorneys because IP is so critical. Right. At Constellation, I was able to appreciate that my outside counsel knew the portfolio from day one and built that portfolio from day one. So that didn't become the most critical first hire for me. So understanding both the client and the counsel for this particular situation. And then I alluded this, to this before, but you know, the non-legal factors of the person, the individuals you're hiring, what's their emotional intelligence? You know, do they have any industry knowledge? There's very, very different um, responsibilities being the general counsel of a biotech company and being the general counsel of a consumer products company. Uh, what are the team dynamics on the management team, on the, on the, the level below the management team? Um, and the last thing I would say is, you know, check references, because many times it's, I think it's become like a check the box exercise, um, but it mm -hmm. actually has really, in, in some occasions, altered my decisions. And not because the references were bad, but some reference you know, it was so phenomenal that it actually made me, you know, when it was a close call, made made me change course. Um, and, the, and not only that, but I check references not just to make a decision to hire, but to determine how to be the best mentor. Because mm. this is the person that's, if they trust you, this reference, they're going to tell you truly how to help the person get to the next level. 
And that's what I use most of the reference calls for. So I hope that answered your question. <laughs> a lot of that resonated with me and I'm, I'm sure it did with you, Alex. I think a lot, especially when you're a junior attorney, tend to focus on just the technical skills, which is very important, but equally, or if not even more so, are the, the soft skills, the managerial skills, um, bringing together the right team, being able to manage them. And as you pointed out, mentoring and managing, it, it's not a one size fits all either. You know, you really have to um, figure out who the individuals are, what your clients' needs are, um, it sounds like a lot. That's why being a GC yeah. is so important. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's it's actually it's really it's really interesting because I, I also think of it as the sense of when we talk about building a team, you almost think it's like just filling boxes with people, but those people need careers and they're going to have aspirations. So to your point, Karen, it's so interesting that you talk about it as like a perspective of mentorship because that is so important. I think, you know, a successful team is not just you hire a good IP lawyer and a good employment lawyer, and that's all they do every day. Like those people have aspirations. So that's just, um, that's a really interesting perspective. And thank you for sharing thank that. Thank you. Um, yeah, so, so you know, obviously, Agenis was such a huge part of your, your career, but I know you eventually went and left for Constellation. So I was just curious how that experience came about and maybe just some of the challenges. I know it's still a biotech company, but how the, the, the roles differed and, and what was the challenge of stepping away from a company that you had largely grown the legal team into a, and into a totally new, as you said, team of one. Sure, absolutely. So, you know, as you pointed out, I was at Agenis for close to 14 years. And, um, you know, the company, as many biotechs do, um, went through many different um, iterations during those 14 years. And I had a lot of opportunities um, to see a genus at, at, at different stages, um, through different challenges, through different opportunities. And so even though it sounds like one company, I felt like I had multiple experiences while I was there. Um, when I built the department that I built, uh, I it, it was probably one of the, the, the strongest accomplishments I felt I had because I truly believe that the people that worked for me, um, you know, were very, very substantively talented individuals um, and they cared as people. And, you know, I could then take on the role of being more strategic interdepartmentally, helping take care of, you know, real situations that arose that had legal elements, but also had, you know, all the other elements that you'd expect uh, and hope that a general counsel could attend to. But after 14 years, you sort of feel like you've done everything you can really do. Mm -hmm. And now the company has to fly, right? Like I can't make the drug work. I hope it does, but like I kind of felt like I had done what I can do. And the other thing is my team was ready to go to the next level. And I felt like they're going to leave or I'm going to leave because we're all talented. And um, so I was approached by a colleague to meet the, the management team at Constellation and, you know, it was just such a, a tremendously warm management team. 
every single person I met with, I, I just felt like not only could I work with them, but I'd actually enjoy, you know, going out and having a beer with them. It was just, they're just an incredible culture. Um, and, and an incredible group of people. Um, and I, and, you know, ultimately I felt like, yeah, like, and I felt like either my next step, I either need to inherit a larger department mm-hmm. or go do what I did again. And I felt like, I felt like I wasn't going to inherit something as precious to me as what I was going to leave behind. So I needed to do it all over again. Um, and, and so that's what brought me to Constellation. And when I left Agenis, I was able to promote the um, Associate General Counsel to General Counsel, uh, the director, you know, up to VP of IP, you know, another director up to, you know, each person was able to take that next step. Um, so that their careers progressed uh, at the time I left. So I just felt like it was a natural way, you know, to, to for all of us to continue our planning. I think it's always hard leaving a company, especially one where you've devoted so much of your life and time, but it, it, it seems like it couldn't have happened in a better way. Like the way you explain it is um, leaving at the right time, moving on to the next great opportunity. But then with all your mentorship and sponsorship, moving people up the ranks, you know, before you left. I mean, that's the, I, I feel like it, it couldn't have ended the or goal. progressed <laughs> right. in, a, in, a, in a better way. <laughs> so that, that, that's wonderful. Um, you know, now, you know, we're talking about you moving into the Constellation, you know, you, you recently left your position at, at, um, at Constellation after helping them become acquired by another biosciences com- company. And um, that's a pretty unique position to be in, I mean, um, to be the leader of a legal function where you're also um, essentially or potentially working yourself um, out of a job. Can you talk to us about that acquisition and, and that experience? Sure, certainly. So I actually joined Constellation two days before its IPO. Um, and, you know, I sort of hustled to get in before the IPO, you know, not for any financial gain at that point, you know, it, it was, you know, I wasn't making anything off the IPO per se, but it was more because I wanted to be there psychologically for this team um, on the day that they went public um, and, and experience it with them. And so, you know, I got there and, um, you know, it, it was incredible because it was, a, in some ways, it was an older company. It had been around for, uh, you know, over a decade, but it, ha- it also had gone through some great times and a rough time and, and rebuilt itself. And so it, it felt like a young, new company. Um, and, you know, I got there and, there was a lot to be done. A lot of the same things I had done, but there were a lot of differences. Um, I There were policies written during the IPO that really my team got from a very, very good uh, law firm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the CEO and CFO didn't read every single line. They were working on other things. So, you know, I inherited policies and had to train on them that I didn't 
read or write or maybe would have tweaked a little bit here and there. And when people would say, like, why did it say this? It's like, well, I might have said it slightly different, but it's written perfectly for a company of our size. You know, so I was implementing policies I hadn't written, but that were implemented two days before I got there. So that was a little, you know, interesting. Um, it was also at a time where uh, the, the entire management team, you know, was going through something new in some way. Um, right. A lot of the members of the management team, you know, hadn't been in the position they had been in before. Some of them had, um, but a lot of things were new to them. And, and I was coming in, you know, my CEO, an incredibly uh, wonderful, smart, ambitious um, individual, but he hadn't been a CEO before. Uh, and so, you know, to shepherd a CEO of, of a company that just turned public, um, you know, that's something very different. And it was a wonderful opportunity. And you can imagine um, that it, it actually was a great time to join because a company that just had an IPO, at least in my experience, they're so excited about the IPO that they actually right. want to be compliant. So like, it was a period of time where anything I said, they would do. And, you know, sometimes they said they could do things. And they didn't believe me because they were so used to having gone through this quiet period before the IPO where they could do virtually nothing sure. that when I told them they could do things now, they, they were like, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? And it was like, yes, I'm sure. Uh, so, you know, it was quite rewarding um, to do that. But uh, yeah, it was it was just a great opportunity. That's awesome. And then, you know, how long was it before, you know, the IPO and the acquisition, was that something that um, you and the rest of the management team were always thinking about? Was that a part of your planning or was that so far down the road that it you know, almost came as a surprise um, after you'd started building or had built um, your legal department? Yeah, thank you, thank you, I kind of got got so excited about the IPO that I forgot to, to no, continue No, I'm on. so glad you touched uh, it, because that is actually very um, Yeah, yeah. So, um, no, we did not have, I mean, we, we, were, we were building um, very strong uh, and very uh, strategically to become a fully integrated uh, commercial company. We, uh, you know, we were hiring during even during the COVID period, you know, I was employee number 40 or 42, uh, something like that. And, and, you know, I say I was there for almost exactly three years is when we got acquired. Uh, and we were, you know, close to around 200 at that point. A good amount of those people were hired during the COVID, COVID period when we were ramping up. So, you know, we were, we were really aggressively moving forward with the assumption that our drug um, would work and our drug will help patients. We, we truly believe that. Um, and so, you know, we were working on multiple fronts. I was not I was not spending time thinking that we would get acquired. Um, now, because I take mentoring so seriously, 
I would always look ahead before hiring people and, and ask myself, how likely is this scenario? How likely is that scenario? And so I would, I would always think about the possibilities of these things before making a hire. But at the same time, I needed to aggressively build the team because we were aggressively pursuing uh, the things we needed to do to be commercial. So by the time uh, we were acquired, I did have, you know, an individual uh, who was developing our IP department, liaisoning with our R&D group, um, a corporate and securities attorney, contracts attorneys, paralegal. So I, you know, um, and a head of contracts. So, you know, I, I, I was building what I felt the company needed um, for its size and its stage at this time. Um, and, and frankly, pursuing multiple avenues for potential success. Uh, and, you know, I was juggling most of, of, you know, different people helped me on different things, but I was really the one who was obviously dealing with the most sensitive, which is the potential that, um, you know, the fact that someone was, was courting us. So, um, yeah, it was, it was not something that we anticipated, but as a public company, you know, you have to consider these things. And we truly felt um, at the end of the day that this would be the, you know, a way good for the patients and the employees um, and the shareholders. So, you know, um, talking about, you know, you said talking, working myself out of a job, um, it, it really didn't feel that way. Um, again, for me, I had kind of already done a lot of these things before. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I hadn't gone commercial before, so that would have been a really great thing to do. Um, but I also hadn't been acquired before either. So it was, it was kind of cool to really build a strong legal group again, uh, you know, people that I'm going to stay very, very close to again. And, you know, it, to go through a pre-IPO to acquisition in three years, to me was, you know, a really great experience. Do you have any tips on, uh, you know, when you are general counsel, you're managing a large department and you are going through an acquisition on how to guide your team or manage them, like through that acquisition, um, you know, like what you said, I'm sure at first you were the only one who knew, but as you get further down the line, um, you know, how do you keep that mentorship up? How do you keep the work going um, with everyone knowing that you will be acquired and, and there may be some uncertainty in the future for um, certain individuals? I think that is, you know, very specific to the company, um, the industry, the size. So, you know, I, I won't comment specifically on my experience per se, but, you know, um, I would say that, you know, it's obviously prudent to only tell those individuals that truly need to know. And I don't mean that just because, and, and again, I focus a lot on the non-legal skills, obviously, to, to be the chief legal officer and to be a member of a successful legal department, you have to be very strong in those things. But I like to focus on those things that I think maybe people underestimate the value of. Um, and so, 
when when you hear something like, you know, only tell the people that need to know, immediately comes to mind, oh yeah, of course, because you know, you don't want it to leak and and you could have SEC issues and that could be a disaster. Right. All those things are absolutely true. But you're also dealing with human emotions, people who, as you said, are going to go home every night wondering if they're going to have a job. And it's an emotional process. And there, you know, I felt that as a C-level executive, that's what I was getting being paid for. I was being paid to, to shoulder those types of responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And I would only pull someone in if I absolutely had to when it came to an acquisition. Some companies, you know, they might not be able to do that. It depends on the skill set of the general counsel, the bandwidth, all those, you know, all those other things. But I was fortunate enough, you know, to have very strong counsel and a a strong team that could do some of the other things. They might have wondered what I was working on, but, um, but, uh, you know, I, I was able to do that myself. And, you know, once they do know, and for, for me, only personally, only, only one of my team members knew, um, and it was very late in the game. It was like maybe two weeks before. Um, wow. and yeah, so I was like looking up things like, you know, and I said I wasn't going to talk personally, but now I am. Um, <laughs> I was looking up IP stuff that I hadn't like confirmed before because I trusted my IP person, but I didn't want to stress him out. So I'm like, you know, looking up all this IP. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was stressful, um, but I think it was the right thing to do. And then once I talked to the people, you know, we had negotiated good you know, scenario planning for the people that worked with us. And we were very fortunate that our acquirer wasn't just acquiring us for our technology. They Mm -hmm. really did want our people. Um, They wanted a footprint in Cambridge. They wanted our skills. And so um, I know that the team there is, you know, probably still, you know, stressed about, you know, the future, but, and and that would be the case in any acquisition situation, but really the best you can do is be there as a, as a, as a true mentor should be. Um, And, and I think again, understanding what, what, if you've been a mentor to them as, as you've worked with them, then, you know, making them see that, everything will work out one way or another. And hopefully you've, you've brought them to a point where, you know, whatever the future holds, they have potential. Well, I mean, it really sounds like, Karen, you've had such two really unbelievably rich experiences in the last two companies you've been with. But, you know, I know when, when Ruchi and, and I spoke with you uh, before this podcast, you had mentioned that this post-acquisition time that, you know, you're not working right now has been a bit of a silver lining for you in terms of time with your family. So I was wondering if you could just expand on that, since this is kind of a unique position to be in, you know, after this big, this big acquisition. Sure. I mean, you know, I think it, none of us would uh, deny the fact that it's really hard to be uh, a in our profession and also have the time to spend on personal things. Um, And this 
time, this acquisition has given me the opportunity to really say, you know what, I'm going to take a little sabbatical. Um, and it's hard, you know, as you can imagine, you know, recruiters see that a company is acquired and you get the, the, the phone call. They want to. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I've just said that until, you know, until X time, the new year is what I've said. Um, I really can't, I, I really can't make, you know, a move and we'll see if I stick to that. You know, it's only been a month, but, you know, at least I lasted a month. Um, and, you know, it just gives me the time to spend. I have uh, two sons, 12 and 14. And, you know, most of the stints that we take as general counsels, you know, you take them for a long haul. You don't take them to, to flip in a year, right? So you, you fast forward three, five years, and, you know, at least one of my sons will be in college. So if I'm going to take a any sort of break to, to share some time with them, even if it's just three months, now would be the time. Um, my mom is also, um, you know, trying to sell a home in New York and, you know, it gives me the opportunity to help her with that. So to just do all the things that really you would have loved to do in the past, but not been able to. And then I can jump back in uh, really feeling refreshed. Amazing. And I, you know, just, just going off of that, I mean, obviously, I know you say you're, you're waiting and I think that's fantastic. Do you, do you have any sort of forward thoughts on what you'd be looking for in that next role? And, you know, I apologize to any of the recruiters on the call yeah. and you're not taking calls right now. <laughs> but what, what would you be looking for, do you think, um, in, in, what, um, in what you might be looking for in the next venture? You know, I, I don't. I, I think that um, it's not good to sound like you don't know what you want. And, but the whole point of me taking a sabbatical was to erase my mind, you know, to take some time to truly just be, to, to, you know, mm -hmm. to try to meditate, which for attorneys, I think is just impossible. Um, I think I did it Very twice hard. and then stopped, <laughs> but, you know, to just try to chill, like, I don't think attorneys know how to chill. Um, and I left and said that I'll go back to work when I learn how to chill. And then I took that back and said, okay, fine, in the new year. <laughs> um, but I just want to try. I just want to try to see if I can not commit to something. Um, and, you know, so, some days I say I want to build a legal department again. And other days I say I want a broader role. And other days I say that I want to be an entrepreneur and start my own company. You know, it, it, but that's like people always ask. Well, they've always asked me, like, if you could do anything you want, what would it be? And I'd come up with all these crazy things. But I feel like now is actually for at least a couple months, the time that I can truly ask myself that. Um, and so mm -hmm. I just, you know, that's what I'm asking myself. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I don't think um, many of us ever just take the time to really look within and ask ourselves without the noise and to... Um, not be completely guided by the past and you get that opportunity and most importantly to to take that time with your family and your sons um do they like having you <laughs> at home not working i'm sure they really um enjoy that i i would have um <laughs> i hope one day i can do that as well 
I think it's um, I think it's unspoken gratitude. My four, my I said fourteen. He actually just turned fifteen. But my fifteen-year-old walked in the door today, and the first thing he said is, "Mom, aren't you bored?" And it's like I was exhausted. I've been up since two a.m. doing things for you. You just don't realize it, um, you know. And they definitely expect their food to be ready, you know. So I could quickly see myself tiring of this and being ready to get back to work. But like I said, I'm just gonna just gonna see what it's like and you know, we'll see, we'll see how long I can handle it. But I think they do appreciate it. But boys will be boys. (laughs) I'm sure they do. (laughs) So um I'm sure you've heard the podcast before, um, and you know there's always a couple of questions that we ask every guest before we wrap up. I, Alex has asked me these questions before on my podcast, and so and she's uh, asked me. So and oh yeah, <laughs> I asked you. I forgot that. Um, so if you don't mind, we'll proceed with those. Uh, the first is, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you first entered the in-house practice? So. Uh, what I, one of the things I really didn't appreciate, um, and and frankly, I think people can become very senior executives and never really learn to appreciate this, is that it not only matters what you know, but how you communicate it. And by that, I mean, you could know the right answer to any topic, um, have the best advice out there. But if you don't know your client and you don't know how they need to receive the answer, then you're going to fail. And, and, you know, I think as attorneys, we often get frustrated if our client's not listening to us. Um, But to be a good senior attorney you have to learn how to speak in a way they can't help but listen to you. And that means understanding what ticks for them. What what are the things that they care about and communicate your message to them in a manner that touches on those things as well. Um, and, and, you know, I, I used to get frustrated, as many of my colleagues do, um, if, if, if their message isn't being heard. And I found myself many times with, um, I laugh and say, you know, maybe uh, the, the problem child uh, person in every company uh, where they're super smart, but, you know, knocking some heads. And I'll just say, you're completely right. You just have to say it this way because they don't hear what you're saying. Um, so that's really important. A great answer and, and so true, I, I think. I, I totally agree. So, okay, so and, and, and our second question for every guest is, um, is what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? You've obviously shared a lot of great advice on this call or on this podcast, but we'd love to hear what you've heard. Yeah, so so this one was a very recent um, piece of advice, and I took it with skepticism, but I'm I'm starting to believe it. Um, and this was to be yourself. And by that, what I mean is, you know, I I'm not really the typical mold of a general counsel. Um, I was pre med. I um, 
was the first attorney in uh, first person in my family really to go to college. I have a very, you know, energetic personality. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm very strong in communicating my opinions, very respected, but you know, I make jokes. I have, um, music in my office. I have in, you know, it's a very welcoming office and I, and my, my past CEO is, uh, uh, at Constellation is the one who gave me this advice. He said, you know, someone told me once to be a CEO, you have to have this, this, and this quality. And I said, no, I'm going to be Jigger as a CEO. And he said, you have to be Karen as a CLO and, and not change the kind of person you are because that's what makes you the person we want. And I think a lot of times we, we see people in positions of success or power and, and try to emulate them. And if it's not your skin, you're not gonna come across genuine. And I think to be successful, you need to find the place that you know you want, not just the place that you know offers you a place to reside. Um, and and that means you know them genuinely wanting you and not some projection of who you're trying to be. And be happy. Yeah. <laughs> be happy. That is a that is a great piece of advice and it's the first time I've heard it said that way, but uh, very important. I don't think anybody will be successful and happy if they're not being themselves. And I think it circles back to everything you said before about connecting with your clients and the people you're managing. You have to bring your authentic self and be yourself in order for people to trust you. Um, so thank you for that. Is there anything else you've given us so much and I, I've learned a lot. Is there anything else you'd like to share with Damn. us today? Well, I say one of the, the things that makes people respect me um, is that they know that I will never compromise my integrity and I'll never, even though, you know, I've said all the stuff that imply don't be a bull in a china shop and things like that. Um, you don't ever compromise your integrity. And, you know, that doesn't mean not compromising. And it doesn't mean, you know, picking and choosing where you should push. You don't always have to prove you're right. But if you have a principle that you know shouldn't be, you know, passed upon, make sure that you stay there because people will respect you for standing up to whatever it is that you're trying to um, communicate. Uh, and, and again, you just have to learn how to get that point across. And if you can't, then question whether you're at the right place. Um, but I think it's, it's really important that you feel respected. I think so many attorneys feel like, oh, people just think of us as attorneys and they don't think of us as anything broader. They don't respect us or they never call us in the room until there's a problem. I have never felt that way. Um, and I've been in very tough situations, 
but it's because they know they're going to hear from me the truth. They know mm. that I come to work every day because I want to be there and because they're going to hear the truth. And if they, you know, if, if they want to fire me, they can fire me. Um, but they know that I'm here for the right reasons. And once you start compromising your integrity, um, that goes away. So for me, um, that's the most important thing. Well, Karen, this has really been phenomenal. I, I completely echo Ruchi's earlier sentiment. I've learned so much and uh, thank you so, so much for, for your time and for sharing all of this with us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, likewise, that absolute pleasure. So this has been another episode of Around the In-House, which is now available on iTunes. Please be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at ACC Northeast. And also watch out for the ACC Northeast chapter uh, posts on LinkedIn to hear future episodes of Around the In-House. I am Alex Afariot. And I'm Ruchi Sisodia-Shaw. And we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thanks, everyone. And thank you, Karen. Thank you.